Mankind can't get to God. If they could get to God, they would kill him. They would pull him from his throne and crush his life if that were possible. But they can't, so what do they do? They attack those in his image, and particularly those who worship him. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue with part three of Tom's four-part series titled The First Six Seals, The Tribulation Begins. In Revelation chapter six, Jesus Christ initiates the seven-year Great Tribulation by breaking the first six seals on the scroll that is in fact the title deed to the earth. These seals describe a series of sequential divine judgments that God will pour out on this rebellious earth at an appointed time in the future. As you're learning in this series, we as Christians today, even though Revelation describes future events, can still apply many of its truths to our lives today. In His Word, the Lord promises blessing by reading, studying, and understanding these things written in the past, set to happen in the future, yet imminently practical here in the present interim period. Let's join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. Well, turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. I want to begin by reading this chapter. We find ourselves beginning the great tribulation, the first six seals as the tribulation itself begins. Let's read together. You follow along as I read this passage of Scripture. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a loud voice, a voice of thunder, come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. 
And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? In this amazing chapter, Jesus Christ our Lord initiates the devastating judgments of the seven-year tribulation with the breaking of the first six seals on the scroll that is the title deed to the earth, the scroll, the title deed that only he alone is worthy to open. The seven seals, as we pointed out, describe a series of sequential divine judgments that God will pour out on this rebellious earth. Just to remind you what we studied last time, we looked at the first four seals. The first four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They are unique and stand alone. We noted that the first seal in verses 1 and 2 describes Antichrist's false peace. It's, it's a mimic, a poor representation of the great and final peace that our Lord Jesus Christ will bring, but it is short-lived because the second seal in verses 3 and 4 and the second horseman represents war. That treaty that Antichrist makes at the beginning of the tribulation that seems to promise world peace will be quickly shattered with world war. The third seal in verses 5 and 6 is famine, where inflation, because of war and because of, of all that has happened, famine will take hold and inflation will cause the prices of, of the basic necessities of life to go up to the extent that a person will have to work all day just to provide food for himself or for his family with no money left over at the end. The fourth seal in verses 7 and 8 is a death of the fourth of the world's population that survived the war and the famine, a fourth of the, the world's population. We looked at all of those last week. Tonight we come to the fifth seal in verses 9 through 11, and we'll call it divine justice. And I'll fill that out and explain it as we go along. Let's begin in verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, now 
According to the Lord's timeline in the Olivet Discourse, the message he gave from the Mount of Olives, looking back over the temple about the future, according to the timeline in his sermon, the first four seals that we've studied so far occur in the first half of the tribulation. You can read about that in Matthew 24, verses 4 to 14. And those first four seals mark the beginning of God's wrath. It is still in the first half God's wrath, but it is merely the beginning. The fifth seal that I just read about is a bridge. It's a bridge from the first half of the tribulation to the second half, and in the second half, the world sees the full fury of God's wrath. The first four seals focus on events that unfold here on the earth. The fifth seal shifts to the throne room of heaven. It focuses on the throne room of heaven on a group of people that I want us to look at and consider together as we unpack this fifth seal. First of all, as we look at this group that's identified, let's look at their identity. Verse 9, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar. Now, altar obviously conjures up what picture? A temple, a heavenly temple. If you remember back in chapters 4 and 5, heaven was represented as the great palace room of a king, the throne room of a king. Here in chapter 6, it's a temple. What is this altar? Well, consistently, the altar in heaven in in the book of Revelation is a heavenly parallel to the altar of incense which stood in the earthly temple. You can read about it in Exodus 40. The altar of incense in the earthly temple and this one that's represented in heaven pictured the prayers of God's people. And you see this again and again. Each day, the selected priest was responsible to burn fresh incense on the altar of incense in the temple using coals that had been taken from the bronze altar where the sacrifices had been made. So the priest would go get those coals off the the altar where the sacrifice had been made, carry them in a pan along with incense into the holy place where there set the altar of incense right in front of the, the great curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And the priest would put together that incense with those hot coals and the incense, the smoke of the incense would begin to rise and it would would waft over that curtain into the holy of holies representing the prayers of God's people entering his presence. It was at the time of the, the burning of incense that people gathered outside the temple for prayer because that's what it symbolized. And I love that picture. Think about that, Christian. Every time you pray, it's like, it's like the smoke of the incense on that altar of incense blows into the presence of God. It's a sweet smell in his nostrils as he hears the dependent prayers of his people crying out to him for their help. Verse 9 says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. I mean, clearly these are martyrs for their faith in Jesus Christ. And here they're described as souls because their bodies have not yet been resurrected. That'll happen to this group in chapter 20, verse 4, and we'll get there. So who are these 
martyrs, the souls of those who'd been slain in verse 9. Some argue they're all the martyrs of the entire church age, but that can't be true. Because in their prayer that we're going to examine in just a moment, these martyrs specifically state that those who killed them still live on the earth. So these martyrs must have been those who were killed during the first half of the tribulation. These then are tribulation martyrs killed during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. As God carries out his own judgment of sinners, Satan, his demons, and Antichrist carry out worldwide systematic persecution of believers. This persecution will begin during the first half of the tribulation, shortly after the rapture. Again, Jesus promises this will happen in the first half of the tribulation in the Olivet Discourse. But it will intensify dramatically at the midpoint, once Antichrist makes it clear his true intentions, once he establishes himself as an object of worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Listen to Revelation 13, 7. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. In other words, he will carry out a systematic persecution of the people of God across this planet. Undoubtedly, believers will be labeled with labels such as idolaters. That happened, by the way, in the Roman time. I don't know if you realize that, but often Christians were accused in Rome of of being idolaters because they didn't worship the gods of Rome. They worshiped someone else. That will undoubtedly happen. Blasphemers might be another label. Certainly traitors for opposing the worship of Antichrist and, and sort of refusing to give their allegiance to his government. It's interesting that chapter 9, verse 21, says that there will be extensive increase in murders during this period of time. And I think believers will undoubtedly be the victims of many of those murders, including mob violence, vigilante justice, as Antichrist gives permission to people to take out their vendettas. I tell you, if you want to see the ugliness of the human heart, then just look at what happened in in places like Jebwabny in Poland when the Nazis didn't actually come in and kill the Jewish people, all they did was give permission for the people in those places to kill them themselves and take their belongings. And that's exactly what happened. Pogrom after pogrom happened as people were murdered and their possessions taken just because they were given permission to do so by the Nazis. So, this is what will happen, worldwide persecution. But as soon as those true believers are killed here on earth, they'll be received into God's presence. By the way, who are these believers? They're not those who were alive at the time of the rapture before the tribulation period. All those believers who are here on the earth will be raptured. And when Jesus returns, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, we've examined that before. So who are these martyrs, these who believe, who are martyred? They will come to faith during the tribulation period. As we will see, there will be many, countless numbers who come to faith during the tribulation period as God not only exhibits his justice and 
judgment, but his mercy and grace as well. So here they're pictured as under the altar because in their death, it's as if they offered themselves as a sacrifice to God, their loyalty to him. They're connected to the altar of incense here because they're praying. But why were they killed? Why were they martyrs? Notice verse 9 gives the reason, because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Now, it's possible those are two different reasons, but I I really think there's only one. I think the second statement merely defines the first. They were martyred because of the word of God and their consistent testimony to the truth of that word, a testimony which the Greek text literally says they were having. So these individuals were killed during the early days of the tribulation, during the first three and a half years because they were faithful witnesses by their lives and their words to the Word of God. And because of that, God's enemies in their anger determined to kill God's witnesses. As I've shared with you so many times before, mankind can't get to God. If they could get to God, they would kill him. They would pull him from his throne and crush his life if that were possible, but they can't. So what do they do? They attack those in his image and particularly those who worship him. That brings us, that's their identity. They are tribulation saints, those who are saved during the first half of the tribulation and are martyred because of their faith. Notice in verse 10, their prayer Their prayer reveals the content of the fifth seal. Now, don't misunderstand the fifth seal. It's not martyrdom. Some people teach that, but martyrdom is not a judgment from God, all right? These seals are about God's wrath on evil. God's people are not evil. Martyrdom is not evil. Uh, No, that's not it at all. Instead, the fifth seal is a call for divine justice from God's people who have been martyred. It's a prayer to God, and it's a prayer God will certainly answer in his time. So look at this prayer. First of all, notice its passion. Verse 10 says, they cried out with a loud voice, saying. The Greek word translated cried out here is a word of deep emotion, and that emotion is reflected in loud prayers. Notice its impatience. How long? If you're familiar with the Psalms, you know that that is a common cry of the righteous when they're in the midst of their suffering, especially suffering at the hands of the wicked. Psalm 13, 1, Psalm 35, 17, you have this, how long, Lord? How long are you, are you going to wait before you intervene? Notice this prayer's recipient. Verse 10 says, O Lord, holy and true. It's very unusual. The Greek word here for Lord is not the normal word, kurios. This word is used only here in the New Testament. It's the Greek word that comes into English as despot. Doesn't mean God is evil. It underscores God's absolute control over everything in this world because this despot is, notice, holy He cannot tolerate evil, and he's true. He's always faithful to his own character and to his word. Notice their prayer's appeal, verse 10. 
How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, notice, first of all, there's a great lesson in prayer here. They're not demanding things of God. They're asking a question, and they're making an appeal. That's the right way, whatever you do. You know, if you want to see a a loved one healed, you don't demand that of God. You do as they're doing here. You ask a question, you, you make an appeal, and you entrust it to God. Their prayer in verse 10 is that God would carry out justice toward those who killed them. Notice the expression, those who dwell on the earth. That is a semi-technical term throughout the book of Revelation for unregenerate mankind in its hostility toward God. It's repeated a number of, or used a number of times in Revelation. They're saying, God, when, when are you going to judge? When are you going to avenge our blood? We were martyred. Our lives were taken. We were murdered. It's really what they're saying. When are you going to bring justice to bear on those who murdered us? Now, please understand that what's happening in verse 10 is very different from the anger and bitterness that motivates a desire for personal revenge. This is instead a call for justice. Now, what are the lessons we can see from from that. There are a couple I just want to pause and bring to your attention because I don't think we think about this often. First of all, biblically, when we are wronged or sinned against, our primary desire and prayer should be for the salvation of those who've sinned against us. That should be your first reaction. Like Stephen in Acts 7, 60, falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That should be our first reaction when we are sinned against. But that doesn't mean that's all we should ever ask or pray for. If they will not turn, if they refuse to repent, then it's right as well to pray that God will give them the justice they deserve. I I prayed this many times, Lord, save them, bring them to true faith. But if they absolutely refuse your grace then bring justice to bear on the horrible sin they've committed against this other person. This is right and legitimate, and it's a reflection of the character of God. God is a God of justice. He's a God of mercy and grace, but he's also a God of perfect justice who will not allow a single wrong to go unrighted. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, The First Six Seals, The Tribulation Begins. Tom will bring you part four next time, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, what can we as Christians learn from the martyrs around God's throne as shown in our passage today? You know, Bill, I I think it's important for us to remember that those believers that will be killed during the tribulation teach us a lot of valuable lessons. They were faithful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with with boldness in the worst possible culture. In the face of amazing opposition, they preached Christ and him crucified. That should 
motivate us, should challenge us to be faithful in the dark world we live in. They also trusted in the sovereignty of God as they went before his throne in prayer. They knew that God would answer their prayers in accordance with his will. We must trust in God in the same way that he hears our prayers and he responds according to his will. And they also knew that heaven is our home and that we will one day be in the Lord's presence. And that makes all of the issues and struggles and troubles of this life more than worth it. Friend, we're challenged by them to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Thanks, Tom. And friend, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.